We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Superstar, one of five people that was on board a helicopter that went down in Calabasas earlier this morning, and we are hearing reports that there were no survivors. I know this is a Pacers podcast, and we will definitely get into some Pacers talk later on, but I wanted to start today's show off discussing the life and the legacy of Kobe Bryant. So joining me, as always, for our Monday show is Kent Sterling. So, Kent, what's going on? Not too much, Alex. Tragic news, right? Yeah, that it is really sad. So we are recording this pretty much 15 minutes after the, the breaking news of Kobe Bryant's death, tragically killed in a helicopter at the age of 41. Kent, you've watched a lot of NBA. I'm sure you've pretty much been watching the NBA since Kobe came into the league. So when you hear news like this, what is your perspective? You know, I, but wow, it's a uh, obviously just an awful loss for professional basketball and an awful loss as we look at a guy who is 41, one of the best to ever do what he did. Um, the, the thing that strikes me about Kobe Bryant is the way he evolved as a human being coming out of high school, out of Philadelphia, going straight to the NBA and and really showing immaturity early and then developing maturity and becoming kind of an elder statesman in the league and somebody that young people looked up to as a role model. Uh, just last night, LeBron passes Kobe in on the all-time scoring list. And, uh, you know, to see that he's dead today is just unbelievable and uh but what a what an interesting evolution of a human being that we got to see as as he really became an adult in the public eye and and became a guy that i i think stood for all that's good in the end for the nba yeah i completely agree with you there and you know one of the things that we've seen from kobe is 
his ability to work with players uh, since he's retired. I mean, Gordon yeah. Hayward was one of the first ones. Jason Tatum. Um, I forget who. Oh, Luka Doncic was somebody that had been just getting mentored by him, and he was doing work for ESPN and just an ambassador of the NBA. Somebody that once they retired didn't walk away from the game and was still a major voice and a major part of it, and somebody that everybody respects if you're an NBA fan and an NBA player. Just the way he globalized the game as well. His popularity was a huge, huge part over in uh, China and other areas like that. So. This is just devastating news. I really don't even know what to say. I'm just kind of taken aback because it's just it's just crazy, Ken. I, I can't even imagine uh, a 41 years old dying tragically in a helicopter accident. And I believe from what the reports are, his wife was not with him. So, uh, you know, our thoughts go out to the Bryant family in this time. And and what always pops into my mind in these things, and, and we've seen other people die in helicopter crashes, is how terrified the people in the helicopter must have been in that moment where you realize, you know, uh uh-oh, something has gone terribly wrong and we're falling from the sky. And and while death is always harrowing and terrible, you know, that death in particular, where you know what's coming as that ground races up toward you is especially awful. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine, and it's been reported obviously everywhere that Kobe was used to flying in this helicopter to where he would go places so it's not like he's you know just randomly on a helicopter I believe it was his own helicopter too so just just tragic news and if there's anybody out there joking about it please just stop that's just oh sick it's yeah. not I, I've already been on Twitter and seen some people making jokes it's just it's not the time or place to joke about it you know respect the family respect his legacy and uh, let's move on but Anyway, let's just take a quick break. We'll start the intro now, and we will come back with some Pacers talk. And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With the left hand and authority. McKee gets it in the middle. everybody what's going on welcome back to another episode here of setting the pace and as we do on every monday morning you're going to be hearing from me and my great guest kent sterling kent the pace has been looking pretty good on this road trip you know they have what we talked about last week is exactly what came to pass they got beat in utah second game of a back-to-back at altitude always a tough one then they come back and they're terrific against phoenix and they hit almost everything they threw up against golden state so it's gone very, very well for them as they look ahead of that Wednesday night matchup with the Bulls that'll, uh, you know, we finally get to see Victor Oladipo playing a Pacers jersey rather than practice with the Mad Ants. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so tired of seeing those reports about uh, Victor's recalled from from the Mad Ants for rehab. So great to see the Pacers, you know, we knew that game was going to be a loss more than likely against Utah, and it was a complete blowout. I mean, a 30-point loss miserable to watch as well but 
you, you start off Sunday in Denver. Sabonis gets his first triple-double of his career. McDermott, in two of these four games already, he's gone 9 of 10 from the field with 24 points and 6 of 7 from three-point land. He's been on fire. TJ Warren has been unbelievable. And unfortunately, we have yet another Malcolm Brogdon injury. So let's start there. It's unbelievable. I mean, with with Brogdon's injury, I mean, it was a fluke thing. People keep saying, oh, is this supposed to have, or why is he injury prone? It's like, look, he got elbowed in the head by his own teammate going for a rebound. You can't prevent stuff like that from happening. It just happens. Yeah, it's been nothing but bad luck the entire season for Malcolm Brogdon. Yet another, I mean, it's hamstring, it's back, it's concussions, it's an elbow to the eye, it's all of this stuff. And and fortunately, I think, you know, the Pacers have kind of figured out how to win without him. Not just play without him, but win without him. And so, you know, this thing continues. And and hopefully in the end, you know, this helps. You see the load management with guys all over the NBA – I don't think that Malcolm would ever be a guy who would want to load manage or that the Pacers would want to load manage. But that's kind of the outcome where he's gotten a chance to kind of keep his legs strong, hopefully in March and April and into May, cross our fingers, that that, you know, brings a benefit for the Pacers. And in the meantime, other guys are getting some run. I mean, we saw Aaron Holiday make a bunch of shots against uh, Golden State. We saw, like you said, McDermott do it. So this is a, uh, you know, this is a team, right? T.J. McConnell starting the other night at Golden State, played 30 minutes, had 12 points, eight assists. Yeah, this is a team that was very well constructed by Kevin Pritchard to be able to withstand challenges like this. I think they've done a terrific job of that. No, I completely agree with you. And tonight they're playing the Trailblazers, recording this around 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. So um, we'll talk about that later in the podcast. But as far as, you know, beating the Suns, T.J. Warren getting that revenge game that we were hoping to see, 25 points, led the team in scoring. He had 33 points against the Warriors, led the team in scoring again. And against the Nuggets, he didn't lead the team in scoring, but three guys ended up with 22 points uh, behind McDermott's 24, and T.J. Warren was one of those. Uh, if you just look, if you don't look at the, the game in Utah, Warren has just been unbelievable for this Pacers offensively. And let me ask you this, because with Oladipo coming back, how do you think that affects T.J. Warren? I think that that's going to be the interesting question. Is this a guy who can be an efficient scorer without being a volume scorer, Mm -hmm. right? If Vic's going to take 14 shots a game or 16 shots a game, those shots are going to come from somebody else at the expense of a guy like T.J. Warren. Is he going to be able to go get 14, shooting it 10 times, instead of going and getting, what do you have, 33 and and having shot, you know, 23 times at Golden State. Is, is he that kind of guy? He's been terrific. I mean, he's he's such a good scorer from a variety of places, whether it's, you know, from beyond the arc, whether it's throwing up teardrops, mid-range game, at the rim. He's just a really good scorer of the basketball. And I think that that's the question. It's not just a matter of the, you know, 30 to 35 minutes that Vic's going to take away from somebody else. But it's those shots that he's going to take away. And is that going to reduce the effectiveness of any of these guys? I I don't think it affects Brogdon. I I think and I don't think it affects Sabonis or Turner. And that kind of leaves us with, uh, you know, with T.J. Warren as the likely candidate as the guy whose uh, whose use is going to be reduced markedly. 
Yeah, and that's why I'm kind of interested to see how McMillan does his rotations and his substitutions because I do think that there is an opportunity for Warren to play a little bit more four and maybe be used yeah. that way a little bit. I think that'd be interesting. It's I still don't think that McMillan's going to play 10 guys in the rotation. Now, some people are saying that he will, but I just think with our lack of depth at the center position and uh, power forward position, it's going to be hard with both Sabonis and Turner starting uh, to really find the minutes for 10 people to get in the rotation just because of the substitution patterns that we've seen over the entire season. But I agree with you. I I think TJ Warren has been really exciting for this team and Maybe, you know, with the focal of the the offense, a focal point being pushed more towards Sabonis and Oladipo, that means that Warren might even get more open looks than he's already getting. And I'll be interested to see how he does knocking down the three-point shot. We've seen it, uh, that he's done really well at certain times. But to start the year, he was kind of cold in that area. Uh, there's an opportunity for him to get more looks. But same goes for Oladipo. I think Warren's a good enough playmaker uh where he's able to drive to the basket. If a guy sags off and leaves a Brogdon or Oladipo open, I think that Warren will more than willingly pass to these open players if that's going to get him more assist and give him more of an opportunity to, you know, gel with these guys. You know, and I think you bring up an interesting point with Oladipo. Oladipo has spent a lot of time during his rehab shooting the basketball and shooting threes, and people are saying that he's shooting much better in practice. I've watched him in practice. It does look better. We don't know what that's going to look like in games, but if all of a sudden he can become that two who can stand behind the arc, stretch defenses, and open up the floor for Warren, that's really interesting. I also think that Goga Batadza is going to be a guy where, and I agree with you, uh, an expanded rotation is probably not going to be the thing that Nate chooses to do, but I think Batadza's got uh, an ability to go play basketball, score the basketball, play defensively, and really kind of hold his own on the court late during this rookie season. I think he might be that guy who also gets some run at at the backup five a little more often than he did. And then I think you're right. You know, T.J. Warren can do a lot of things. He's very versatile offensively. He can guard four spots on the floor, and one of those four spots is the four, as you would guess. He can score from the four. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see the Pacers choose in certain matchups against teams without dominating bigs to go with Warren at the four and spread the floor a little bit and and open up that offense. Well, see, the, my problem there with Batadze is I, I agree with you that I think he's going to be a really good basketball player in the future. But so far from what we've seen from him, you know, with the role that he's been playing with Turner and Sabonis both healthy, it just it looks like the game is almost uh, I don't know exactly how to describe it not too fast for him but I feel like he's trying to make sure he does everything right to prove that he deserves more playing time because he knows the leash is short so I don't feel like he's just playing loose and comfortable like he would be if he knew that the minutes were going to be guaranteed so that's kind of why I'm worried about Goga uh, getting in the rotation especially being a young big we know that he has skills there's no doubt about it but. I just I just don't know if it would uh, affect the chemistry somewhat, you know, especially if you're taking some minutes away from Sabonis. And he does have to figure out where he belongs on the defensive end of the floor mm-hmm. and and be able to play what where he's supposed to and do what he's supposed to do more often than we've seen. But I think that that's going to come. He's a smart kid. He's uh, physically gifted. He's got great hands. He has a great knack for blocking shots. He's just a really good player where when I I think that there's going to come a time 
when he they need him to play 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Whether Turner gets hurt or Sabonis gets hurt, something's going to happen where Goga's got to show up and get some extended run. And I think that when that happens, it's going to be really interesting to see what the result is. And I think the result's going to be good. I'm really, as you know, I'm really bullish on Goga. Yeah. I think he can flat play. And and I'm saying stuff. I'm writing checks for Goga that, <laughs> you know, he, he if he's able to cash him, you know, that that's going to be a terrific thing. But I do think that he's an all-star eventually. He's just wired right. Like, he is, there are just some guys that you watch and then you talk to and you see that they they have an understanding, not just of the tactics of the game, but kind of the spirit of the game that, mm-hmm. that you have to play within, where you're generous with the basketball, that you understand it's about the five on the floor, not just you. And, and that's kind of... I, I think that he gets that at a really high level. So, yeah, every every Monday we're going to talk, and I'm going to say something really good about Goga, <laughs> and I'm going to hope that it pans out, or I'm going to sound like a moron. Well, I mean, I hope that you're right. I hope it does <laughs> pan out. And I think that the, the, the only chance I really see Goga making a big difference for this team this year is if we get in a playoff series with a team like Philadelphia. And, you know, we've seen the Pacers yeah. men have struggled with a guy like Joel Embiid. And if Embiid puts Sabonis and or Turner or both, you know, in foul trouble, then that's when Goga's really going to have to answer the call. And, you know, even if even if the Pacers do get stuck in a matchup, whether it's first, second round with the Philadelphia team and they lose, I think getting Goga playoff experience will be huge for his yeah. confidence and his development as a player. And we know how that is. Rookies always, especially big men, rookie big men take a couple years to really get their feet wet in the NBA. So let's move forward a little bit here, Kent, because I do want to talk a little bit about Jeremy Lamb. Uh, this is a guy that yeah. went 0 of 7, I believe it was, in the first game against the Nuggets. Everybody played bad against Utah. Uh, still didn't have a great game against the Suns, but he did look pretty good in that Warriors game, going 7 of 9 for 16 points. And this is a guy that's going to be having to adapt to a new role coming off the bench. And I just, I don't know what it is about Jeremy Lamb. I believe in his potential, and I believe that he's going to be a, a good piece for the Pacers to have. But so far this year, it's really just been a lot of inconsistencies from him. Yeah, it really has. And as long, I, I think that he's going to fit with that second unit maybe a little bit better. I agree. You know, he is, there's no question that when that starting five as it exists when the Pacers are healthy, Lamb's really the, the fifth option, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he, so he's got to kind of hunt his own. I, I think that that the focus of the second unit is going to become more to his liking. And, and as a result, I think he's probably going to be more effective, more consistently. And then it's just a matter of defense with him. He's a really good dude. You know, he, he's got the, for the old white guys who look at Jeremy Lamb, they kind of see the neck tats and, and they see, you know, a guy who, who doesn't look engaged all the time, but he is, and he's a really smart guy, and he understands basketball at a high level. And again, he's one of those guys who gets that this is a game played by five, and and finding his role on this team in where it's going to have to exist. And that's, I mean, he isn't going to be a starter for this this team ever. Yeah. But uh, other than injuries, he, he isn't going to play Warren Oladipo or Brogdon onto the bench. So this is what they brought him in to do. That was the expectation. And because that's the expectation, I think that he's going to merge into that role fairly seamlessly because he never had any delusions that he was going to be anything but this when Vic got healthy. 
Well, you mentioned, I believe, that his locker is next to T.J. McConnell, right? Yeah. So do you think that playing together with a guy that he's, you know, locker buddies with, possibly best friends on the team, do you think that makes a difference as well as chemistry purposes? I think T.J. McConnell just understands how to showcase guys, and I think Uh that that's going to be really, really good for Jeremy. You know, I I don't know whether being next to a guy in a locker room makes a whole lot of difference, but I do know that T.J. McConnell is all about getting everybody else buckets. And he's really good at that. And so I think that Jeremy and he are going to work really, really well together in a way. And I don't know how this affects Aaron Holiday, but Aaron Aaron kind of hunts his own, right, as part yeah. of that second unit. Aaron's the one guy in this team that wants to play his way into a starting role, if not with the Pacers, then someplace else. You know, he's not ready and, and shouldn't be in his second year to say, well, you know what, uh, my dreams of being an NBA starter – those were nice, but foolish, and I'm going to accept my role as a bench guy for the rest <laughs> yeah. of my life. He ain't going to say that, so you, you can't blame him. He's a businessman, too. But it's going to be interesting to see how this new rotation affects Holiday because he, while he can be kind of a Vinnie Johnson sort of microwave-type instant offense guy, he can also be a guy who can shoot you right out of a game. Yeah, I know. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he struggled, too, in that Denver game. I think both him and Lamb went uh, 0 for 12 together or something like that combined. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing. I'm worried about where Aaron Holiday fits in with Lamb going to the bench. I've said it last week in the last couple of podcasts. I think he's out of the rotation once this all goes down, and that's just because he's too inconsistent. And we saw him get a technical foul against Phoenix, I believe it was, towards the end yeah. of the game. McMillan just looked beyond annoyed with him for getting that technical foul, especially when they're up by like 15, 20 points at this time in the game. So I just feel like McMillan wants him to grow up a little bit more. I don't know if McMillan trusts him completely. That's why we've seen TJ McConnell in the starting lineup recently as well. Because uh, earlier in the year, I mean, if Brogdon was hurt, it was Aaron Holiday getting the start, McConnell with the second unit. But that's flipped ever since that Bulls game. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what to think about Aaron Holiday going forward, but – I do think that Jeremy Lamb is going to benefit from playing a little bit of a faster pace with uh, the second unit because those guys are moving all the time without the basketball. The way McDermott and Justin Holiday have been shooting the ball, if he's in any pick-and-roll action with uh, a Sabonis, I mean, he's got shooters all around him. I, I just feel like this is going to be a great opportunity for Jeremy Lamb to you know, excel a little bit better. And you know who else get pissed, gets pissed off at Aaron is his brother, Justin. <laughs> like, Justin spends a lot of time with Aaron kind of putting his arm around him and telling him how his behavior affects the team. And, and, and as an example, when Justin got teed up, um, and that was, I can't even remember which game, but it was back here at home. And, and I was at that game where he got upset and, and got dinged. He was disappointed because he spent a lot of time trying to teach Aaron that that's not the way to react to adversity. So he was pissed off at himself. And when Aaron steps out like he did, I know that Justin kind of takes it personally and takes some responsibility for that. Did they bring Justin Holiday to the Pacers to kind of help mentor Aaron? I think that that was part of it. But I think also that they understand that this is another guy who's a team-first dude and enjoys playing basketball the right way, and he's versatile on both ends of the floor. So I, I don't think it was just as a mentor. I, I think that that was a, a nice ancillary benefit, but I, I think that when they went out and got Justin, they went out to get him as a basketball player. Yeah, the, I, I agree. I was so on the Justin Holiday to the Pacers hype train this summer. 
I've just seen enough of him. I mean, he's been a pacer killer when they played him, it feels like. But I just like the way he plays. I never envisioned him playing the four, that's for sure. But just I love the way that he is just a pro and does yep. whatever the coaches ask him to do. And he's been a terrific fit for this team. And I think, honestly, like if you're looking at next year's free agency, he might be the number one target to bring back. You know what? And he's the best interview on the team. And that's saying something because these guys are all really good interviews. Even TJ Warren, if you ask him a good question, he gives you a great answer. Uh, Brogdon is unbelievable. Justin Holiday is a guy you can go up to and, and you forget you're, you're interviewing him. You just have a conversation with the guy and he always gives you an answer that kind of reaches for another question. And it's, it's just so easy to talk to him. And, and he's so easy to be around both in the locker room and, and kind of with the media that, you know, he's, his work here from a media perspective is really, really well respected. He took TJ Leaf's spot in the second unit uh, with yeah. the power four position. TJ Leaf has been a, f- uh, a player that fans really have not embraced ever, uh, no. especially with the guys that were drafted behind him that, Indiana fans wanted specifically OG and Anobi, but as well as John Collins. Now, I know there could be some off-the-court issues with John Collins. That's why the Pacers stayed away. But interesting little tidbit on Wednesday night, blowout game, in garbage time, McMillan rolled with McDermott instead of playing TJ Leaf those last four minutes with Bataze and Jakar Sampson. Only guy that got a DNP in that game. Is this a, a sign of what to expect for T.J. Leaf going forward, and do you think he's a part of this team next year? I, I think, sadly, it is. Um, yeah, I'd be surprised to see him back with the Pacers. And and it, it would be a uh, – you know what? He's he's not a distraction, uh-huh. and, and so that's not a problem. But he's not a, a malcontent. But you know what? He's a professional, too, and he'd like an opportunity to be able to go play – and from a, a defensive standpoint, he's just not capable of getting that done. Offensively, he, he can score. You know, yeah. if, if, he, if he played for a bad team that had no other option, he would score maybe 22 points a game and then allow his counterpart, his opposing number, to go get 40. You know, so you, <laughs> you don't want that. That's yeah, not a that's, ringing endorsement there, Kent. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's not. But you knew this. Like, I, I didn't understand the choice. Other than, you know what, it, it was kind of high risk, high reward, and you take a guy 22nd, you, you hope for the best, and he's got half a game. Maybe you can help him get the other half. But in his one year at UCLA, it was the same thing. And then I watched him play summer basketball, too, and he played on a team that sat back in a 2-3 zone, and really nobody even moved. Wow. You know, they, weren't, they just weren't active on the defensive end at all. On the offensive end, they got after it, and, and they showed themselves. But defensively, they were just terrible. Well, see, I blame the whole Paul George bomb on that whole entire draft because I don't think Kevin Pritchard um, might have been in the right mind because he was trying to think of deals for Paul George, and so he gets yeah. into the pick, and he's just like, uh, all right, DJ Leaf, you know, <laughs> just dream out of a hat. Like, that's that's kind of how I view it because it's like, why in the world would you take him over OG and Anobi, like uh, a yeah. guy that everybody in Indiana wanted on the Pacers just because we saw how – you know, but all the potential that he could have um, playing at IU. But so I guess my question is, you know, sitting a guy like T.J. Leaf out, do you think uh, on a minor deal the Pacers could try to move him before the deadline maybe to get like a second-round pick or something? 
if he has any value. Yeah. You know, you've got 29 other GMs, and and maybe maybe somebody sees the same stuff that that Pritchard saw. Maybe that's part of it that they yeah you know, they don't want to play him and then expose him to to teams for what he is. Maybe they're going to look back and see. You know, he's 22nd pick overall. He uh, he was a leading scorer on a good UCLA team. So maybe we take a chance on this kid and. And by not playing him, they don't, you know, they don't undermine his value further you know, by by showing te- teams that he can't defend like at all. Yeah, and they, it's, it's, it's they won't tell you that, you know, like you talk to Dan Burke and those guys about TJ and they're like, oh, no, you know, he, he's OK. But I think minutes played that speaks loudly and uh, not not getting any run at all. Um, shows you exactly what because Nate McMillan didn't play in games. Yeah, Nate McMillan. They don't call him Sarge for no reason. Nate McMillan, right. you got to earn your way out of the floor, and clearly TJ hasn't. Well, and the thing is, I mean, he like I said earlier, he was given that second unit power forward position to start the year. Now he did have the injury yeah. that kept him out. I think against the Kings in those India games, and he might have played one preseason game. I can't remember, but. It was one of those things where it was his position to lose, and we had Mark Monteith on on our podcast to kind of talk about this team before the season started. And he said he really believed that this would be a breakout year for TJ Leaf to, you know, get this backup role and and be something special and show why he's a, a good fit with the second unit. But we have seen that that is not the case. And no. honestly, at times this year, I know we're doing a lot of TJ Leaf talk, and I'm sure people are like, "Can you please quit doing it?" But like, uh, You're right. I I feel like he's better positioned to play the five than he is the four, specifically on defense. Yeah, it, well, yeah, but even at that, I mean, if he has, to, and this isn't <laughs> unique, but if he's got to go up against a guy like Drummond or somebody like that, he just gets eaten alive. Yeah, you know, he he can't defend guys out on the floor. He can't move his feet quick enough to be able to do that, and he doesn't have the bulk to go down low. When when the Pacers drafted him. I think they thought, you know, if we can hang like 25 pounds of muscle on this guy and, and sort of make him a a big body type who people have trouble banging into, then we got something. But he's just he, – he is what he is, and he's kind of that sort of thin guy where he's bulked up a little bit but not nearly enough to kind of fill that role. All right, well, let's move on. I'm sure people have already been – putting this on two times speed to get through the uh, <laughs> TJ Leaf conversation. But uh, I, I do want to I do want to close this podcast talking a little bit about Miles Turner. Just before yeah. I say anything, I've gotten ridiculed quite a bit on face, uh, Twitter recently for my Turner hate from a year and a half ago, maybe two years now, close to it, where I was very upset with some of the stuff he was saying and not responding the same way. I just felt like, anyway, I want to get into it. But – this this entire West Coast road trip, Turner. What are your thoughts on how he's played this uh, this West Coast road trip? You know, I I think that he's one of those guys where if he's not if he doesn't have a really well defined role and if he's not needed, he just kind of slips into the background uh-huh. and becomes very very. Um, he, he's satisfied with being a quality rim protector and really almost nothing more. You know, if it would look at when Sabonis went down and Turner had to kind of step up, he stepped up, he scored buckets, he got rebounds. But so I think that he's he because of Sabonis's emergence, he's kind of slipped back both in his own mind 
in his team's mind and in fans' mind into a place of virtual irrelevance as a starter on this team. And I don't think it's very comfortable for him. He, I, you know, when he came out of Texas and, and he's a rookie and, and I talked to him at the, the Pacers golf outing and he said he wanted to run his own company. I, I kind of thought, uh oh, this is a businessman. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? He's in basketball because he wants to be in business. You look at a guy like Sabonis, he plays basketball just because he loves to ball. Right. And and that's really not, I don't think, where those interviews and more interviews really revealed kind of Miles Turner's head to be. And and so I think you see that. I, I think you see a guy who's not going to say, you know, damn it, I'm coming out, I'm competing my ass off, and, and if you guys don't think I'm going to, you're out of your mind. I, I don't think that he's that kind of guy. And, and so as a human being, I think you want that. You know, as a pacer, a long-term pacer, um, you know, that's not the kind of guy you want, I don't think. And I, I tend to side with you over the rabble on Twitter that keep, you know, giving you a hard time over what I think are pretty well-reasoned thoughts. Yeah, and, and I know, like, I was being dumb, like, two years ago. I said something like, uh, uh, what are two things that don't go well in sports? And I said, Miles Turner and physicality. But if you look at those <laughs> two years ago that when they're playing the Cavs in the playoffs – Tristan Thompson doesn't play the whole series, and he just comes in there and downhandles Turner down low. And I was just frustrated, and I think one of the main reasons why I was so irritated with with Turner, I actually was a fan of him the first couple seasons he was here, or at least the first. Was he here with two years of Paul George or just one? I can't remember. I think it was two. Two. So, yeah, so the first years I was like, I really think he's going to be something special. And then when Paul George left, he goes, yeah, this is my team. I'm going to be the leader of this team. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And gives this big old, like, I'm the the guy now. Larry Bird said he could be the best pacer of all time, which I don't know what he was smoking. But uh, when he said that, you know, the the – I guess you could say like the expectations just elevated through the roof. And I don't think Miles ever lived up to those expectations that he set for himself. And I kind of just got irritated with him. And then the following season, you know, we saw Sabonis outplay Turner in that calf series. It was like every time you turned on Fox Sports Adieta or the radio, more so Fox Sports, they were just like telling you all the great things Miles does, even when Sabonis is clearly outplaying him that game. And I'm just like, look, I get it. Turner's a good player, but we don't need to continue to praise him 24-7 when he's, you know, only getting five rebounds and scoring ten points. Like, there's no reason to over-praise him just because you're afraid the fans are starting to turn on him. And I guess that's kind of where my frustrations went. But I've been very honest and very transparent this year. I have I was hard on Turner, but I think the way he adjusted to the, the back seat to Sabonis, I think he's been fantastic ever since he talked with McMillan. I think that he's done a good job of accepting that role. I mean, you don't see nearly as much pouting as you used to see from Turner. No, I think that he's, well, especially when he got the, the four-year extension right. with, you know, $72 million guaranteed. I, I think that that took kind of some of the edge off for Miles. And, mm-hmm. you know, you you get that kind of generational wealth in your pocket, and, and you tend to take bad news, I think, in, in a little bit different a, um, uh, a frame of mind, but it, he's still, it, to me, and, and part of it's the eye test, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you watch him do stuff. You watch him run in practice. You watch him running games. And, and there's just this odd clunkiness. It, it's sort of, you know, which one of these, these, of these 10 guys on the floor, 
Who would you say is the worst athlete among them? Well, based on gait, and I know this has been like sort of debunked to an extent, and he's really worked his way through it. You still look at Miles and say, well, that's the guy. Yeah. You know, that guy, what's he doing? He did just kind of this clunky robotic sort of motion as, as he's walking even. And, and that's just odd to look at. It doesn't mean he's a bad person or a bad basketball player. It's just the eye test for fans. He doesn't pass in a lot of ways. I mean, there was issues with him coming out of the draft about his running issues. And there was teams that were uh, afraid of drafting him because they were afraid it could lead to long-term injuries. So the Pacers did take a risk there at uh, 11, I believe it was, that year draft in that year's draft. So there's a lot of things that go into Turner in, you know, the ups and downs of his game. But one person mentioned this in a response to me, and I actually agree with them, is they said Turner has been in the same role Sabonis has been in for the last couple of years. And, yes, there would be games where he, he did well, but he's not the offensive force on offense like Sabonis is. And, you know, they had about the same usage rate as what the person said as well. And you saw how much more significant uh, Sabonis is to this team in that center position on offense than Turner is. So I think that McMillan, I'm sure it was a difficult decision, but he made the right decision because right now we're seeing – Sabonis, you know, making a case to be an all-star reserve, where Turner, in my opinion, was never close to that. And this is a team we got to remember as as we kind of, you know, shine a light, uh, a negative light on Miles a little bit. You know, this is a team that's won 30 or more games already this season, Mm -hmm. and they're entering a a stretch, um, you know, up to the all-star break where they're going to play seven of eight at home. And so you look at the opposition that they're going to face, and you could see them at 36, 37 wins by the time they get to the All-Star break. So Miles Turner, as a starter for a team winning at that level without maybe an All-Star, you, you say, okay, you know what? That Something's working, so, right. you know, let's let's not crap all over this guy's day. Yeah, and that's what I said. Like, this year I think he's really, you know, developed into that role that – him and McMillan yeah. talked about. I mean, he's embracing the fact that, hey, there's only going to be a few minutes per game where you're not on the court without Sabonis. <laughs> Most of the time he's either out there with him or for like a four-minute stretch or five-minute stretch, he has that opportunity to be that center position. But, you know, it's just one of those things. He's done a great job of it, and defensively he was awesome. I mean, he's been awesome all year long, and especially against Phoenix. He looked great. I mean, he was just – all over the place. He had four blocks and a couple fouls that probably shouldn't have been called fouls where he got clean blocks. So, I mean, he's he's doing what he's asked to do. This is probably the most excited I've been about Turner since I got frustrated with him. So, yeah, I mean, my... <laughs> it's not too high a bar to clear. Well, I mean, fair, but I, I just, I was always just kind of like, ah, whatever, like, I'm not the biggest fan. I just... And that's okay. Like, I don't think if you're a fan of a team, you have to love every single player on your team. It's called right. being a fan. Like, there's things about right. him that upset me. But I'm not in the camp of, oh, let's trade him for nothing. Like, if you're going to trade Turner, you need to get something that makes sense back because he's 23 years old, I believe. And he's a young center that has a ton of potential. And he's a modern-day center that is what exactly what most teams want, a guy that can stretch the floor, block shots. I mean, the Pacers have a very good asset right here. And if they want to keep him in – make this thing work, then I'm all for it. If it works with Turner, I'm 100% behind it. But if they can move him and get something that works maybe a little bit better, then I'm behind that too. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. 
He's got tremendous value. He's under contract at a manageable number for the foreseeable future, I think, for another three years. So, you know, this is a guy who would – you would get back good stuff for a guy like Miles Turner. But right now, I mean, this is a a team that if Vic comes back and he he plays like Vic, this is a team that could wind up second in the East. And uh, you know what? It, it doesn't put you probably any closer to where the Bucks are. But if if you get lucky and and the Bucks suffer an injury or two, you could be in a position where you you could find your way into the NBA Finals for God's sake. So yeah. it, you you've got to kind of be careful what you what you covet and what you're willing to dispose of in order to go get that thing because uh, the Pacers are. I think they're rolling at a level that n- nobody saw coming, and and that's got to be protected. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe they're already at 30 wins without Oladipo. I mean, it just it didn't seem like that was going to be the case, but this team has just gelled so well. Yeah. And I think a lot of it goes to Nate McMillan for putting the guys in the right position, but also all the surrounding parts just accepting and knowing their roles, and I think that's what happens when you bring in a guy like Jeremy uh, Jeremy Lamb, who knows his role, but more importantly, Justin Holiday, T.J. McConnell, two veterans that knew what they needed to do. And one thing I loved about T.J. McConnell's interview with uh, Jeremiah Johnson was he said, "Shout out to Aaron. You know, he is always looking to uplift his teammates, no matter yep. what. And you need a guy like that, especially without Thaddeus Young on this roster anymore." So. I like that we're putting a, a nice light, like you said, on the end of this conversation as we wrap up this podcast because, in all honesty, like this Pacers team has been so much fun to watch. They might not be the most talented, but I do think chemistry does make a huge difference. And this is a year that it feels like the East is pretty open. I mean, like you said, second in the East does not seem uh, unattainable. I think they can do it. So, Kent, uh, appreciate you coming on. It's always fun talking with you, and I know next week we'll have a lot more to talk about as we get to see the return of Victor Oladipo. Yeah, Wednesday's going to be fun. Appreciate it, Alex. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. And did you have anything you wanted to plug before we sign off? Oh, you know, if you want to go to Amazon.com and buy a copy of Oops, the the book I wrote, you can do that. Go to Amazon and search Kent Sterling. The book pops up. It's available in an audio uh, edition, an audio book, an ebook, or the hardcover. And uh, they make wonderful gifts, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you guys aren't, you got Breakfast with Kent every morning, Monday through Friday. Yes. And we've got KentSterling.com where you can read all of Kent's great articles. So, once again, Kent, great having you on, and we look forward to doing it next week. I appreciate it. Thanks, Alex. All righty, everybody. I just wanted to get us up to date a little bit because we recorded this in the afternoon and we just watched the Indiana Pacers lose to the Portland Trailblazers 139 to 129 and if you watch that game I mean it was just too much Damian Lillard too much CJ McCollum as those two combined for a total of 68 points I believe or 78 points excuse me so 78 points for those two together uh, the, the Blazers as a team were unbelievable from beyond the three-point line, specifically Damian Lillard. They were 20 of 35 from the three-point line, shooting uh, 57% from the field. The Pacers were 13 of 28 from three. They shot 46%. DeMontis Abonis recorded his second career triple-double, 27 points, 14 rebounds, 11 assists. T.J. Warren, not the greatest game. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Jeremy Lamb and Aaron Holiday both played phenomenally well. And I think 
as a Pacer fan at this point, you just have to be excited to see both those guys starting to get back on track because Oladipo is coming back. Still unsure of what Brogdon's status will be for Wednesday night's game for Oladipo's return. So we could see a McConnell start. We could see Aaron Holiday start. It's all kind of up in the air right now. But really good numbers from Jeremy Lamb. He went 10 for 15 for 28 points. The previous game we mentioned earlier in the podcast, he was 7-9 for 16 points. So as he continues to uh, develop his his shot to get a little bit better, like not develop, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, but as he continues to grow out of the slump, um, I think it'll be good for him as he heads to the bench. So, you know, just a tough day for everybody. The, the tragedy that happened to play that game, you know, I thought it was really cool how the Blazers and the Pacers started the game off. The Blazers took a 24 shot clock violation in honor of Kobe. The Pacers then in return had an eight second um, violation, half court violation. So just showing respect to a guy that meant so much to the NBA. And it was hard to really tweet about the game, to be honest with you, with everything going on. It just It was just a sad, sad day in basketball. And so... You know, the Pacers came out there, they competed. It was just a tough game without Miles Turner, without Malcolm Brogdon. It just was a game that it was going to be very difficult to win. Sabonis played 41 minutes. McDermott played 30 minutes. Uh, Jeremy Lamb played 34. TJ Warren got in foul trouble in the first half. So he didn't really get into a a good groove. And then uh, Goga uh, continues to just not be ready for the moment. We saw a couple flashes from Edmund Sumner in that first half. But all in all, it was just one of those games where you knew the Pacers' backs were against the wall. They had played five games in eight days all on the road. The Blazers had played three games in eight days all at home. So, yeah, I mean, they were probably a little bit fresher. And CJ McCollum returned to the lineup tonight. He had been out with injury. And I know this Blazers team has been underachieving this year. They're 20-27 and now. Uh, we're 19-27 heading into this game. But, I mean, Damian Lillard is just unbelievable. And what he brought to the table tonight, it was just a special moment. And he's been on fire the last couple of games. I mean, just putting up ridiculous numbers. So, just one of those nights as a Pacer fan, you, you just enjoy the competitiveness of this team. With their backs against the wall, I mean, they played about as good as you could have hoped for offensively. Defensively, they had no answers, but that's just what happens when you have uh, Lillard and McCollum going off the way they did. It just you try to blitz those guys, and there's a dunk man open if they get the pass. And these guys are such good passers and creators off the dribble that they can just overcome those traps and those double teams and those hedges from the pick and rolls a little bit better than what you'd expect. You know, for a, a guard that's not necessarily as dynamic of a scorer as. Damian Lillard and or CJ McCollum. So yeah, all in all, you know, you end the road trip, you go three and two, you get three wins. Uh, what was what everybody was hoping for? That's kind of how I thought this would go. This trip would go. I figured it would be a tough game in Portland, and especially I thought the Utah game was an automatic loss. So just to wrap it all up here, I think that the Pacers did what they could do with what they had tonight according to all the circumstances that were up against them. And now they've got Monday and Tuesday off. I'm sure they'll probably practice on Tuesday as they get in tomorrow. They'll have the day off, but get some practice in Tuesday, and then they will be on the court Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, against the Chicago Bulls to see the return of Victor Oladipo. So 
Pacer fans, you'll get to see a lot of Pacers action as seven of the next eight games are at home. And honestly, I just think, you know, coming out of this game with no injuries or no more injuries than they already have and competing, it's about all you can ask for. So anyway, guys, you can follow us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. I'm at AlexGoldenNBA. You can find Kent Sterling at Kent Sterling. You can find my co-host, Mike Fachi at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at Pacers Talk. So we hope you guys have a great rest of your week, and happy Monday to you. Let's go Pacers. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com